Hi, thank you for joining me on my podcast, No Agenda, No Apologies. This is Lisa Marie Costabile. Some of you may know me as Kota in the spiritual world. My next guest is multi-talented Indra Bose. Indra was born in Scotland, brought up in India, and was then moved to exotic Hertfordshire. He has a master's degree from the University of Oxford. He lived in France and Italy before studying film at Goldsmiths College. Indra is an award-winning director and writer, with many notable credits to his name. He has worked worldwide on various television and film projects, from nominations for a British Academy Award, to the Televisual Bulldog Award, to directing such dramas as EastEnders and Holby City, to name a few. He has just returned from the United Arab Emirates, where he is consulting director on NBC studio drama series Inheritance the first soap in the Arab world. I am honored to have my friend Indra on the show. Hey, Indra, thanks for joining me. Hello, Lisa Marie. Lovely to hear you and to be talking to California. I know. I appreciate you taking the time. I know with all that's going on, everybody's actually really busy. So you're in London now, right? I'm in London. I'm in lockdown. And actually, I have loads of time because I... All my days are completely empty, and I fill them up with, uh, with. Um, actually, it's pretty much the same as I normally do. I'm a bit frightened. <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> uh, but um, yeah. so being in London, is it in your lockdown? Is it the same as the United States lockdown? Why don't you tell us a little bit about what your experience is right now? Yes, yeah, so, uh, I think it was on Monday night that our Prime Minister Boris Johnson announced the lockdown, and I. Yes, it's the same as in California. I don't know if it's the same in different states in America. Basically, you can go out for pharmacy, hospital visits, or essential food shopping. Right. And mm-hmm. once a day, you're allowed out for exercise, which is walking or running or jogging, and I think bike rides. And uh, that's it. Uh, wow. And recently, um, there's even been debates about can you drive somewhere nice and get out and walk. And they're trying to stop that as well, because you just need to keep traffic off the road. So I think it's the, pretty much the same lockdown. I think in India, it might be even more severe. It's almost like you can't even go out of your house. I'm not sure how it works. but Because um, you were um, born in India? No, you were born in, in Scotland, and then you moved to India. So are you speak, do you have family over in India? Yes, I have family in, in, in India, and I've been in touch, and uh, everyone seems well so far. Good, good. And I, have, uh, I haven't really looked at the numbers for India as much. I, I've just been so busy with what's going on here in the States. So. Yeah, I mean, being obviously being in, in, in Britain, which used to be part of Europe until a few a year ago, mm-hmm. uh, I, I kind of look more at the French, Spanish, Italian figures. So I've kind of limited myself now. to I watch the news in the morning and I watch the news in the evening and I don't want the constant updates because there's no need really, you know. Right. That brings on the added stress. And I've been, you know, sharing with my friends and in the audience not to be glued to the TV all day. Although I remember back on 9-11 when I was in New York, that was it was almost the thing to do. There was nothing. We all felt helpless. So I think today that's what people feel is helpless. And they turn to the TV, which is not the thing to do. Well, I I think everyone is entitled to do what they want to. But I think uh, from personal experience, yes, if you get glued to the TV too much. Anyway, with Facebook and Twitter, 
that's constantly, I mean, Facebook seems to be now entirely coronavirus mm-hmm. led uh, with everyone offering helpful advice. And then, you know, the, the, it's very interesting. You get sort of this person is the leading authority on infectious diseases in the world. And they say one thing. Right. And then another one is that this is the leading authority. <laughs> they say another thing. So today there's a whole thing about um, how long you should leave uh, stuff that's delivered from a store mm-hmm. so the coronavirus dies off. And there's all this debate about how many days does it keep alive on cardboard. Uh, so, I, I mean, you, you do get pulled into those things, but I just sort of try right. and avoid them. But I'm just ultra cautious, really. And I don't know what the science is, but, uh, yes, I, I tend to leave Amazon packages lying in the doorway for two days. Right, yeah. I feel like, I'm, I, I feel like I've gone kind of medieval like this. Right. That's what, um, it's interesting. I was just shopping. I, we had to go, I just went out this morning early and, um, I was just thinking that how long we, we had to wipe the things down with, um, Clorox and how long do they stay out? And that's an interesting point that you bring up about conflicting arguments. Someone says this, then someone says that, and then someone says this. And I'm finding, I felt like yesterday, what, what, what are we on? We're on Friday, this, the 27th, I felt this week people kind of hit like a little lull. It was like um, a dim spot where I believe it's because people had conflicting ideas of what to do. They didn't know what to do. And um, again, it's important to pick a source, a reliable source, stick to it, and then listen to it maybe once a day and then move on. Um, and since, so basically, are you right out of work at this point or, or what's going on? Yes, it's very strange because Obviously, um, uh, I'm sure your listeners know, I'm a film and TV director and screenwriter, and our jobs come and go. We're all freelancers. Um, So I finished this job in the United Arab Emirates in February, and I was kind of hoping that there would be a gig on a TV show round about the summer autumn. Mm -hmm. But I don't know. So that's gone now. So, uh, And also, if you're trying to prove to the revenue people yes i you can't prove that to them uh uh so uh yes i i'm um but i was expecting to be out of work but i don't really call it out of work it's just it's the normal gaps of a director right or a freelancer we, mm-hmm. yeah especially directors because you know i have lots of friends of freelancers who are freelance uh, costume assistants or props and they can kind of work 52 weeks a year right Right, because they go but, uh, from one gig to the next, or a movie, or a commercial, or a, a TV show, or yes. But the higher—I mean, I won't even use the word higher. That's wrong. But the, the different grades, like the H. Mm-hmm. In America, do you say HOD, head of department? Right, but we but, also use but, above the line. Oh, really? I thought that was for actors and scripts and stuff. I think you know. I think above the line would be producer, director. Um, and oh. me, yeah, I'm almost positive. I mean, I've only dabbled in the business for how many years? <laughs> right. I should know. No, I think above the line is producer, director, I th- think DP. Yes, I, I think you're right. Yes. Uh, uh, so really, I'm, I'm quite used to this. And I wasn't expecting to get another gig till the summer or the autumn. Right. So I was all set. So I was saying to you earlier that my day is pretty much the same, except all outside visits, which I used to do a lot, like going to the cinema, going to museums, um, going out to events, that's all gone. So what's left is the being at home, 
spending time looking at stupid internet videos, mm-hmm. uh, reading, uh, emailing. Uh, that's it, really. Doing so some it, it's just talking to your friends in in uh, the United States. Yes, absolutely. That uh, must remind me. I must get in touch. I have other friends in 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 California. I must get in touch with them just to make some jokes because uh, uh, British royalty has just moved to California. Oh um, right, I, right. I remember. Yeah, yeah. I don't know where. I don't know where in LA they are, but it's probably a gated community. And even though it's meant to be top secret, I bet you uh, Angelinos know exactly where they are. Um, you know, I'm not sure. Um, I wonder if they're in Beverly Hills. I hope not, because I saw the numbers with Beverly Hills are one of the highest, which is interesting. So I've been looking at the areas from anywhere from Sherman oh. Oaks to Encino to West Hollywood. Um, in Beverly Hills, I recall, is one of the higher numbers in the, the virus. So that's unfortunate. Um, but I haven't, it's interesting, I think because everybody's been in and occupied with everything else going on here. I've not really heard a whole lot about the royalty family coming here. I heard more about Prince Charles getting, um, getting the, the virus though. Um, is there any news? Did you hear about the the British prime minister getting the virus? Yes, I did. I read that in the, um, in the paper this morning. Yes. That's pretty big deal. Who, do you know who he was around at all or who, who were his people? Uh, no, but of course, until about a week ago, he was doing normal politician stuff, which is shaking hands with loads of people, being in big meetings, mm-hmm. um, and, uh, and, 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 you know, in actual fact, our lockdown has only been going since Tuesday. Wow. So although it feels like months, it's only four days. Mm-hmm. Wow. Wow. So that, that's interesting. So I want to ask you, um, so what are you going what do you think you're going to be doing to stay grounded? What what is your thing to do? It can't be any it, it doesn't have to be a specific thing but what is your thing? What how what can you tell the audience that how you would get through this? I think it's a, it's kind of a routine like I have when I'm not working because when you're not actually working when I'm not working directing you kind of have to fill your days up. Mhm. And uh, I'm a very lazy screenwriter. I only <laughs> really do it when either I'm paid, mm-hmm. which is very rare, or I'm working on a script with someone else. And then they they kind of moan at me if I don't, you know, uh, uh, send my, my version back on a final draft. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, so, yeah, it's basically having a, a routine, I guess, but a routine which is sort of spread out. So you don't rush. You get up, you have breakfast. My the, the key point to my day is I'm still doing my five kilometer walk uh, every morning. Uh, and that sort of base around it. And I come back and have lunch. I have a nap and I can read. And then in the evening, I'll watch a movie or I'll go to bed and I'll watch a box set of comedy or something like that. Um, what I've realized from this lockdown is actually, uh, I always knew this, but it's been confirmed. Is I can't watch films of any import or interest on TV on a, on my TV screen. I've always been a cinema goer, and oh, I'm, okay. normally I go to the cinema three, four, five, six times a week, wow. depending okay. on where I am. And I try to watch serious films, and I just give up. Um, so I can watch fun stuff or rewatch old films. So you know, on the internet, lots of friends are saying, "Oh, this is my chance to watch." Things like, you know, Kizilovsky's The Decalogue, 
And I'm thinking, I can't do that. I have to go to the movie theater um, to watch a film. I can't do it. So a lot of the avenues of really, uh, you know, looking at interesting films is close to me because I can't concentrate. That's the problem that I have is focusing on sitting watching a TV when I have 50 things going on in my head, like a a serious movie. So we've definitely been tuning into the quick um, 30 minute sitcoms or um, some even well documentaries, some of them on the lighter side of things. What what I'm what type of things are you watching for comedy in in London? Well, um, pretty much uh, all American. I've just actually no, that's that's wrong. It's Canadian. Mm-hmm. I've been really getting into Shit's Creek. Oh, right. That's a great one. That's a really popular one. That's very popular. Yes, it's, it's lovely. And it's been a huge success for Canada and for the, you know, the Canadian broadcasting system. And there's another one which is, a, a, again, I, I think I'm making a <laughs> something very anti-American here, a big ad, but another one that pops up in the head is also a Canadian series uh, called Kim's Convenience, which oh. is absolutely lovely. Nice. Okay. Um, and um, what what else? Just uh, odd things, really. And that, that's the, pretty much the two. And of course, my regular and just uh, you know another subject is I really quite like uh, shows that in an old fashioned way, uh, mm-hmm. even though they're not on television, they drop one episode a week. It keeps you waiting. It's a different perspective on a TV show. I remember when Sopranos. Did you get to watch that series? I watched it on and off. I, again, maybe that is actually something I might do, watch the box set. And I remember Sunday nights was the night that it would come on. And to wait for the show for the entire week, I felt like it gave your, um, you had something to look forward to and you also you kind of marinated in what was going on. And then come, you know, Friday, everybody would be like, I wonder who's going to get whacked that w- for the next episode. I really like the way that that's released, but we're in a whole different game of watching TV and streaming and everything quick, quick. And it's again, the generation that can't wait for, you know, they can't wait a week, but, um, I want to, um, talk to you a little bit about the industry. Now, my theory, I mean, everyone's out of work. Let's face it. I hear that they're, instead of releasing films to the theaters, they're going to go and release them online. Is there anything that you've heard or that you can, you have a theory on what's going to happen with the industry in Britain? Uh, I, I, who could tell? Uh, I just know, I was just noticed that today in uh, one of our daily papers, The Guardian, right? Uh, that, that Friday is the review day, so they review movies, books, whatever coming out. And I opened the movie review page, and I had like seven movies, and I said, that's stupid. Why are you going to review a movie when you can't see it? Then I noticed they're only reviewing movies that you can now watch on demand, which is very interesting because oh. it's quite right. What's the point in saying, right. here's a movie that I was sent a DVD of and it's going to be released in uh, November 2020. Mm-hmm. So that's very uh, interesting wow. uh, that you can watch things on, on demand. But I think as a, as a kind of a, a, a cinephile, uh, I can only see a movie uh, in, in the theaters. I, I really can't cause it. And uh, I've been chasing two movies I really want to see in the theater and I'm going to have to wait for them to come around on, the kind of uh, um, you know art house circuit. One mm-hmm. is Roma, which I still haven't seen, oh, and the other one right. is The Irishman. Oh you my know, goodness! I, 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 two well, great, two great know, films. Course, uh, yeah, Martin Scorsese mm-hmm. is saying, you know, it's okay. You can watch it in three one-hour bits, but I'm saying, look, you're a, you're a master filmmaker. Mm-hmm. You made this as a three and a half-hour movie. You know what you're doing. 
minutes. I mean, mm-hmm. Apocalypse Now is a three and a half hour movie. Coppola made it like that and you sit through it. In fact, I saw the late, the very last version of Apocalypse Now six months ago at our uh, Cinematheque here in London. Mm-hmm. And I start watching it and I blink and the end credits are coming up. And I've sat there for three and a half hours wow. and you don't even, so I guess I don't know about the Irishman, but so I don't, I haven't really heard much. So you're saying you want to see the Irishman in a theater? Yeah. Oh, okay. Okay. Cause we watched it and it was amazing. But there's, you know, it's the, um, it's the era of the attention span is so short. The attention span is so short. And I think that's why people are going to have possibly a problem with staying in. And I've said it a thousand times. We can stay in and wash our hands a hundred times. That's our job to stay in, wash your hands, but stay sane. And so my point is, as I'm making is that people can't, they, they want things to happen quickly. Well, this is going to take a long time. It's interesting that you said, too, with the Irishman, uh, where um, you want to see it at the theater. You're going to have to wait. <laughs> I'm so sorry to say. Well, as I said, it'll eventually, it will come around on the kind of art house circuit. And, and here's another kind of thing. Uh, I, I, I'm very fortunate that I divide my time between two of the great cities. So I live in London and I live in Paris as well. Right. Um, and Paris is an extraordinary place, mm-hmm. um, as you know, Lisa yeah. Marie, because we met up there I know. last year or two years ago. Gosh, it seems like last year. Okay. It's about a year Sitting and outside a half. in that cafe, yes. in that cafe, in the sunshine I with uh, Saint-Sulpice, uh, uh, which to your listeners, Saint-Sulpice is the big church, which is in that Tom Hanks movie. Mm-hmm. What's it called? Not Angels and Demons. What's the first movie? Um, what da Vinci is it? Code. Oh, yeah. Did da you? Vinci Code. Oh, right, right, right. Oh. And and since then, uh, you know, I mean, I've been sitting at that cafe for 20 years. And now I kind of sit there and it's like a, a tour bus draws up and all these people get out and I go, why is a tour bus? Oh, of course, Da Vinci Code. Because before it was, a, it's the largest church in Paris, mm-hmm. uh, apart from Notre Dame Cathedral. But before it was just like a regular church. And during the week, you know, it just is empty and you just sat there. And then you see all these tour groups coming. Um, so, yes, just to say that I, I live in Paris and the cinemas in Paris are extraordinary. Mm-hmm. Um, there's, I think, about 30 what I guess we call art house cinemas. So in a week, you can go, I'd say, twice a day to the cinema and see an interesting film, a new film or uh, an old film or on 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 uh, re-release um they re-released lots of films recently so uh, i it's easy for me to say yes i can go and wait for this to be on in the movie theater mm-hmm. because it will be on if uh, even when i was in new york uh when was i in new york i was in new york last year i was really disappointed to see the number of art house cinemas as film forum of course mm. and there is um the kennedy center place or it's called now right but there are very few left now very I know. few. It's sad. And, and New York used to be amazing. So New York's gone. London's gone as well. But mm-hmm. Paris is still holding on. Oh, and that's I'm good. very privileged and lucky that I get to live there half the year. That's wonderful. Um, one of my favorite. I mean, you have the best of both worlds. Lots of culture. London and, and Paris. Yeah, absolutely. Yes, I'm, I'm very lucky. Have you been to Paris lately? No, I was meant to go literally the day before they locked down but by reading the french news i could tell something was coming right so i kind of canceled my trip right because you'd be um, stuck there and i would have been i would have been stuck in france maybe not because they, they you know in all the lockdown places they did allow people who weren't from there to kind of get home mm-hmm. so i probably wouldn't have been locked down but yes i was planning i was going to go 
um, beginning the second week of this month. So now, who knows? Who knows? Wow. No, no one knows. How was it when you were um, at the Emir- United Arab Emirates? I was there from November of last year to February of this year. Wow. And I was there as, as uh, it sounds very grand, consulting director mm-hmm. on a TV show, which, believe it or not, mm-hmm. is the Arab world's first soap. Wow. And when I tell people that, they say, no, no, I've seen on YouTube that there's so many Arab drama serials and melodramatic, like the, mm-hmm. like the South American telenovelas we've seen. It. Yes, but they've never had a five nights a week, never ending show. They always had shows which had 50, 100, 200 episodes and they ended. So this is the first time they've got what we call a soap, which is like Days of Our Life or General Hospital in mm-hmm. America. It right. never ends. It's on all year. And uh, Days of Our Lives is, what, 25, 30 years? Something like that. Something Longer, like maybe. that. It's one of the longest. Um, like our shows uh, here, um, Coronation Street is, I think, 35 years. EastEnders, which I direct, is is 25 years or 30. Or something. So, yes, I was there. And really, I was just there to advise and help them set it up wow. and help the local directors who are incredibly talented just kind of alter their mindset to this idea that, you know, it's a never-ending show. Uh, so I was there doing that, and the show's called Inheritance, and it was a, a, a lovely experience. The cast and crew were fantastic. As I, I mean, having worked abroad a few times, I'd say cast and crew are pretty much lovely all over the world. That's great. How? What is the difference between working in um, UAE in comparison to, let's say, the States or London? I mean, London is pretty similar to the... Um, to this state. So what is the difference? You know, a crew is a crew and we tend to shoot the same way. Mm-hmm. Um, I I would say there's probably, <laughs> trying to be diplomatic here, it's mm-hmm. louder in the Arab world. I think people just uh, tend to, uh, uh, it, it, you know, call out across the set. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I uh, insist on having a, a walkie-talkie uh, normally, you know, on on, on TV shows, directors right. have comms, so we have a little microphone, so I can just whisper to people. So I was the only <laughs> one sitting there using a walkie and sort of whispering into it and saying, uh, yeah, can you just do the track a bit slower? And mm-hmm. other people would just call out. So it was more that kind of, the kind of the, the, the atmosphere on set was much louder and boisterous. And, and, and Interesting. Another thing is, I think I find very odd is, uh, and I think it comes from our, uh, certainly from your and our, in Britain, very strong union days, mm-hmm. which is also a very sensible craft thing, which is don't do anything for anyone else's department. Again, you know, in the UAE, uh, and I think that the whole Arab world, it's much more a question of everyone just helps out, mm. which came as an adjustment to me. But it's done in a very good-natured way. So, you know, if you help move a prop and you're from camera department or whatever, that doesn't offend anyone in prop department. Whereas I know as a director, mm-hmm. over many years, if I touch a prop, I get a very nasty look from the prop people. <laughs> and and, uh, it, and people, when people visit sets, they often think that directors are, are sort of rather stuck-up um, egotistical people because they'll hear them are standing, be standing by a chair and say, can I get this moved six inches to the left? And they kind of go, look at this guy. He could just move it. But of course, being a well-trained director, I know, Mm-hmm. I must ask for it to be moved six inches to the left because it's anyway. Uh, so it's pretty much similar. Did you dig in 
did you, was there any point where you, you, you felt like you, you moved that prop at any point? Uh, well, I, I still do it, but, uh, you know, I always ask. Right. <laughs> when I, I always say to the prop people, I say, can I move this salt cellar across the table? So mm-hmm. I'm, I'm, I mean, a lot of my colleagues are not so well trained, mm-hmm. um, uh, only because I think I've worked with some wonderful prop people who have had wonderful, uh, stairs and they taught me don't touch anything without asking our permission. But, uh, and they're quite right because it affects everything. Um, so to go back to UAE, it was a lovely experience and um, uh, made some very, very good friends. Um, my uh, Egyptian colleague, Samar Bashuni, I think has uh, become uh, a friend for life. And what's Aww. very interesting is that uh, there was nice. there was Samar Bashuni, who was the, uh, the Egyptian lead director, myself and, and Christian Milic, uh, who was a, a Bosnian um, uh, TV director, uh, mm-hmm. who was there with me advising. And the three of us, uh, Tamara said we became like a three-headed beast because actually our way of directing and approaching uh, a, a long-form, quick shot show was exactly the same. Didn't matter our background, you know, the the way we approached it. So yeah. uh, we would often be uh, sitting. When I was first told, "Are you going to be sitting with the director and another director?" I said, "The three of us are sitting at the monitor directing the same scene." And they said, "Yeah." I said, "That's never going to work," and it worked beautifully because. Um, Obviously, because uh, neither myself or my Bosnian colleagues spoke um, uh, Arabic, uh, Tamara would do the talking to the actors. Uh, uh, but so, so for a little bit, we kind of worked together. But that was only the first few days just to get a rhythm. And then mm-hmm. Tamara took over and uh, there were several other local directors. Um, yeah, but it was a lovely experience. That sounds like it. That was th- That's a first. Working with three, three. So you had three directors that were agreeing on the same thing. <laughs> yes, I, I think also because it, it, you know, uh, um, I, just I don't like the term soap because right. certainly I think it's changed a lot all mm-hmm. over the world. Uh, and in Britain, our soap operas, if you watch them, I certainly have had American friends have watched an episode of EastEnders and said it's like a half-hour Ken Loach movie. It, How it can is. That be a soap? I'm a huge it's, fan of EastEnders. <laughs> Yeah, it's like gritty London drama with very serious issues and the acting is fantastic. And even though it's a soap, the, how come the camera works so inventive mm-hmm. and, uh, and and the sets look really believable and, and the lighting is, is uh, you know, like a movie. It's right. got lots of light and shade. And I think that's what I was trying to take to the, to the Emirates was that a, a soap is not something that's different from other drama. It's the same. And... Mm-hmm. Uh, um, so I think the, the the reason we all work together is that you realize that also in the soap, of course, you have to do all this, but you have these quite narrow parameters. You have to shoot, you know, 25 pages in a day. So any of uh, wow, that's uh, our a colleagues lot. in America, well, any of our colleagues in Los Angeles listening who do movies, probably having to pick themselves off the floor. Right. So 25. I, I regu- you know, and I, <laughs> I, it's like funny when I'm not when I'm doing soap, when I'm doing sort of one hour TV here. Sometimes at the end of the first day, it's a blur. And at the end of the day, we do the last slate. I look at it and I've done like 29 or 30 slates. How is that even possible? I think in the States, maybe what, five pages, I think, right? Is that a five or 10 pages? Yeah, but on a, on a long running show like Better Call Saul or something, mm-hmm. it, it'll be the same the world over. You, you, you have to do uh, an episode in 11 days and you have to shoot. This. I know this from... I watched lots okay. of uh, um, making of Breaking Bad, and I was really shocked to see 
how much under pressure they are, just like me when mm -hmm. I direct mm -hmm. a British show like Holby City or Casualty. Mm -hmm. um, but anyway, I'm sure you have a huge listenership, and I'm sorry, the majority of whom are not in the film and TV business. So no, no, they are actually. Are they? <laughs> this is this is going, this is kind is, of spirituality. No, spirituality yeah. meets creativity. I want to ask you. I recall watching EastEnders a lot, maybe about 15 or 20 years ago, and what I loved about it is just it's so raw compared to American TV. It's just the acting was incredible and you know the camera just different it was different and but i just remember it was raw um uh, what kind of cameras are you using now there the the uh EastEnders is in the process of, of rejigging a lot of things mm -hmm. at the moment we're still using quite old-fashioned studio cameras which uh you know still make it look a bit soapy mm -hmm. in the sense it doesn't look like a movie but I think uh, EastEnders, like other soaps in Britain, are moving to, um, uh, you know, to be non-technical about it, movie cameras, if you like. So your, your picture can look like a movie and not look like a, a sort of 1970s TV show. So we have, uh, so things are moving forward. We're still on digital, uh, but we will be moving, uh, for those of us in the business, <laughs> mm -hmm. to full chip cameras like the, you know, Ari Alexa or Amira and stuff like that. The problem is that uh, uh, soaps are usually shot very quickly. So we use studio cameras. And a studio camera, one person does tracking, focus, framing. They all do it. Mm -hmm. The minute you move to movie cameras, uh, full chip video cameras, you need the people around it. You need a focus puller. Uh, you need an operator. Then you need a separate grip. Right. So there's a whole issue about speed. And I know that uh, a lot of the... Like Ari, they're kind of making studio cameras, right? So I think that's going to, you know, but uh, yeah. So we're still very much uh, playing catch up at EastEnders, but it will come because uh, you know, I, and even given the older cameras we use, we do our very best with the with the DOPs to make it look fantastic and make it look as 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 filmic as possible. And I think most of the time we succeed. Yeah, I've always loved watching those. I, you know, I'm a, I'm a huge fan of the, the culture and everything in um, Britain. Um, it's just different than the States. It's, I mean, even with actors, they start in the theater so young where it's very different here in LA. Although I got my daughter into theater, I think she, her, her first show, she was three. But um, so what, what do you see the difference in, let's say, actors from the UK compared to actors of, in other places? You know, when I first started directing 25 years ago, I knew absolutely nothing about acting mm -hmm. and I knew absolutely nothing about actors. And I wish to apologize to the poor actors who I badly directed for mm -hmm. many, many years. <laughs> but in tandem to my uh, directing, over the years, I've also taught uh, master's courses in directing and filmmaking. And through that, I've taught myself about acting and the theory of acting. So actually, I'm a huge fan and very influenced by all the American theorists of acting mm -hmm. who all flowed obviously from the Russian theorist uh, Stanislavski yeah. and they have always been my real inspiration uh, in the way I, I work with actors and I think that as a, as a director you have to kind of reinvent actors because actors are so used to getting bad direction mm -hmm. uh, hopefully less so in America where that the spirit of, of the actor studio in Strasbourg is everywhere. It's funny because when I talk to my, my students, I often say to them, 
what have you heard about this thing called the method? Mm-hmm. And they go, oh, the method, yeah, it's that kind of thing where actors have to stay in character. You completely get the method wrong. And then I said, you do realize that every single actor in the world, apart from maybe Japanese, Chinese, Indian actors, even not, but they're, um, they're trained using a method. Some kind of method. Be, mm-hmm. Which is, comes down from Stanislavski. There is no drama school in the Western world that I know of that doesn't. So basically every single actor you're going to work with, their vocabulary comes from tumbling down from Stanislavski. So why are, why they spend three years learning a language and a way to work? Why do you just go in now and you speak a foreign language to them? You, you know, so my, it's been really self-taught. Uh, actors here, uh, again, I think it's because they, they've used the years of, of ineffective directing, which is, I'm sure you know, you know, that there's right. no point for me, really, for a director to say to an actor, can you be angrier? Because <laughs> angry is not a scale. Right. I, what I have to tell the actor, what has shifted in this scene? What can I tell you that's going to make you want something or do something that on screen makes you look angrier? Right? right. So that, that, that's a very simple thing. And, and uh, so I think uh, actors the world over in, in fast form TV have, have had to put up with a lot of bad directing and the fact that we tend to just use a dial system like be angry, less angry, be happy, less hang- happy. Can you, uh, when you come in, can you just rush over to the window, please? Right? <laughs> but why am I rushing over to the window? Now, of course, the reason that directors think they're brilliant is that when you work on a fast form TV thing, it's very rare the actor will say to you, well, hang on, why am I rushing to the window instead of just walking to the window? They'll just do it because it's quick and easy. Mm-hmm. And that's a fake move because they're rushing to the window and there's no, they have no impetus. Why is suddenly something, they, why are they going so quickly to the window? So, um, yeah, I think, I think the actors the world over are different, but they so appreciate being given something to do. The hint is in the name. You're actors. You act. Right. You do something. You're not a, a emoter. You're not an emotion. The emotion is something that's a byproduct of your action. Again, you see, I mean, this is like 101 on an American uh, theater course, isn't it? Well, it's still very, it's very different. I mean, a lot of New Yorkers do do theater. Um, but, you know, like, again, in London, people tend to, or the actors there tend to do, they take theater very seriously. Here, it's not not as much so, especially in L.A., but I don't, I, I don't want to say that people or actors in L.A. aren't incredibly talented because you have everyone from around the world wanting to live in Los Angeles or Hollywood and come here and make a living as an actor. So people come prepared. But it's the process is very different. Um, I think people put in the U.K. actors put more effort or more time not rushing into auditioning but spend time in the theater growing up in the theater and doing you know from costumes to character to acting and then you come to if you look at the states you could take many many kids that ages from 10 12 16 22 and very few have done the been in the theater um one of the other things i don't know if this is a popular thing where you're at in in london is that a lot of people, at least in LA, work with coaches. I don't know um, if you're familiar with that at all. Yes, I mean, I mean, going right back to um, uh, was it Susan Strasberg, who was uh, Marilyn Monroe's coach and used to drive John Houston mad on the set of The Misfits. <laughs> I think it was um, it was the Strasbergs. I studied. It was with Lee's sister. Lee, who was Susan? Lee's sister? Susan. 
I studied no I studied with Strasbourg. An interesting Did um, you? Yeah. Not with him, not with Susan, but with the son. I studied with the son many, many years ago in New York. Wow. That's really impressive. I've that's studied fantastic. with some really cool people. I'm very lucky. I'm so lucky where I was in a city that took training very seriously. I heard a great story about Lee Strasberg the other day. Oh, yeah? Was, uh, there was some uh, very uh, big movie star or something asked to have lunch with him and said, Mr. Strasberg, I, uh, uh, I've just been hired to be in a play on Broadway and I have to do, uh, you know, seven performances uh, a week. Mm-hmm. And, and what process, what, what uh, you know, how can I approach this? Would you please give me some advice? And Strasberg looked at him and said, just do it. <laughs> the actor goes, what do you mean just do it? He goes, it's your job. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> which is, uh, which is uh, it's the kind of thing you'd, you'd want. And um, uh, that's why I, I really love uh, Uta Hagen's uh, mm-hmm. book because it's very very practical in that sense which book do you have uh the, the classic one the, the the usual one i see it in my head because that was the first acting book i ever bought i'm just going across to my library and looking at it it's called respect respect for acting yeah i also love uh, uh meisner's book on acting mm-hmm. meisner has, yeah become hugely popular in britain hugely popular yeah. And there are lots of, here's another difference um, in acting. Uh, in Britain, because you, you've been very kind to our British actors and the fact they, they train in the theatre and they treat their craft in theatre very seriously. But once they finish drama school, mm-hmm. they never go to a class again. That's it. Three years. And you never wow. do. Whereas in America, I believe, you know, actors will still um, go back to classes uh, all along. Uh, it's interesting because Dancers in Britain, like dancers all over the world, they mm-hmm. still go to classes oh, yeah. because they know that you have to keep your instrument going. You do. And it's interesting because actors also know you have to keep your instrument going. But in Britain, they don't do that. They don't go to classes. Oh, here it's required. If you're with a good agent, they, they are asking you, are you in class? Um, are you doing? Oh, I see. Oh, so yeah. They, you have they to consider in a, it. To, absolutely. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, my daughter's in it. She's really heavily into it. And that's one of the first. What are you doing? If you're not in a show and you're not on set, you got to be in class. Yeah. I, one thing I do find very interesting with the younger generation of, uh, of actors, because mm-hmm. I'm a very old man, <laughs> is that now coming up, uh, and I, I kind of go into drama schools occasionally and I, I do a little bit of teaching, mm-hmm. uh, not so often, but I do sometimes. And uh, they come out and they're very proactive. You know, my mates, my mm-hmm. generation, old old men and women, <laughs> we're very much of the generation who sit by the phone and bitch and complain. Whereas yep. the younger actors, they mm-hmm. all know how to edit. They all know how, they've all got cameras. Mm-hmm. They go out and make their own shorts. Uh, they, they will find a room and put a play on. Wonderful. Uh, and I find that to be very, very uh, refreshing and, and interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, that they do that, especially you know, as a film director, the film side, they all know how to edit. They all know how to make movies. They mm-hmm. all go out and make these shorts. And, and uh, uh, as we know, there's, uh, you know, in, in the business, uh, a, a, uh, a two-hander scene made for your showreel by some showreel company, quite honestly, is, has no life to it. But some scenes from a real short film mm-hmm. made as a movie, you know, right. short movie, they they show your goods off a lot better. I, I, I'm not a big fan of those. I know people have to use them, but there's sort of you know, places where you go and shoot a scene for your showreel. They're, they're very rarely 
successful in my opinion. Though I'm very I'm very generous. If I see one, I don't shut off. I don't say, oh, I'm not watching that. I will watch it and, you know, give it this due respect. But um, You know, it's interesting with the show reels. See here, I'm not sure if it's similar. They are important, but, well, it, I guess it depends on the age of the actor. Now, where my daughter's younger, she was able to get an agent who believed in her early on and it's an interesting comparison when someone or an agency is behind you, they believe in you and they push you. They, they don't ever ask, well, where's your reel? And you have to go and do this. And of course they said, man, maybe she needs some improv classes. Maybe she needs to take some acting, but um, I'm just trying to prove a point to our audience is that even with her voiceover, they heard her voice. They liked it. It wasn't here. You need to go record a $3,000 demo to get some auditions because she goes on some of the most um, the biggest auditions that's another thing don't the actors shouldn't get so hung up on a reel you do need it but if you're going to have it it's going to be really good don't keep doing crap write write something really good and try to find a good director to direct you and do it the right way rather than wasting time running you know especially in LA if you're um, it's very hard to get around here you, you you half hour to get to the casting, you're there for an hour and then an hour to get back and then you're studying and then turns out that the production's not very great. I will say, I, um, well, you must know this. One of the first things you should ask on a, on a, let's say a short film, you have to ask who the director is. First, you got to look at the script. Then you got to see who the director is and you have to check out who the DP is because if you're not working with a seasoned DP, you're never going to get the footage that you need. Yes, I think that's a, a very good advice. Uh, another thing is really that when you meet up, is do you like these people? Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, I, I think that you know, in the history of film and TV, of course, we can always point to those people who either direct or act in a very aggressive, violent way, and it's unpleasant. But ninety-nine point nine percent of our business is done as colleagues and in a calm. I mean, not calm is the wrong word, but uh, sort of uh, cooperative fashion. So, if you don't like someone, then what? How's it going to work, really? If you mm-hmm. feel you can't even talk to them, I had this experience. One of my students, he he was casting for his short, his graduation short, and he said he called me up and said, "I need some advice. I, I, I've cast an actor, but he's really unpleasant with me, and uh, mm. uh, he's always calling me up and telling me what he wants to do, and and he, he doesn't treat me with respect, and 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 he, he just sends me notes. And I, I think it's going to be hard working with him, but he's a great actor." And I said. Forget it. Don't. And he goes, but he's really good and he's got a CV mm. and he's quite well known. I said, forget it. I said, go for the, who is the second person on your list who I also knew? And he said, I said, go with him. And of course, in the end, good story. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, the, the second actor did it. Uh, he did it brilliantly, as I knew he would. And that film went on to be in festivals all over the world. And my student director then got going in the business. Uh, so uh, That's a great yeah, story. I mean, yeah, I mean, it, 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 you know, and I was kind of going out on a limb because here's this guy, this mm-hmm. actor who's quite well known, got a CV, got a bit of exposure, is on screen a great actor, but the director says, I can't get on with him. And I'd say, you know, if, if I was directing a movie or a big TV show, and I will obviously mention no names, but there are some, like in America, there are some actors who are well known for being not pleasant to work with. And they said, by the way, we're casting so and so. I would roll my eyes and go, oh, God, that's going to be difficult, but I have to go with it because commercially that's what's required. Mm-hmm. And I will try and work with this actor. 
So I actually, I don't believe in the idea. Of, I, I think it's quite rare you get a difficult actor, as they say. I think you've got an actor who has a problem and you need to find out what is this actor's problem? What is it that's making them negative or aggressive or unpleasant? Mm-hmm. Um, then, of course, the 5% of them, they are just horrible people. <laughs> but 95%, you can click and you can find out what is it that... Most of the time, from my experience, it's ego. People have to... Um, they have a problem with their ego. Yeah, and uh, I think when you get hit actors like that, you just have to let them do their ego thing and the rest mm-hmm. of the cast and crew just get on right. in their normal way. We've all had it. And you can't solve it on one shoot. Um, but the, at the casting stage, I personally would try and avoid those people unless the producers, for financial reasons, say, you've got to have this person. And mm-hmm. I would say, they're horrible, but I'll go with it. <laughs> so I would always go for the people who I know are, are, are pleasant and, and nice to get on with. Same thing when I'm doing castings. You know, if I feel someone quite prickly and difficult at the casting, I kind of go, hang on a minute, they were being quite aggressive and difficult with me in the casting, and how's that going to work? Even though that, that when they read the sides, they were fantastic. Mm-hmm. Uh, I always Personally, I like a nice, you know, calm, friendly set. Other directors I know work differently, and there are many famous stories about how directors can be very uh, combative and even violent, like... Uh, well, like like some of them that we know, <laughs> I think I know. A well, couple. I mean, like, I think it's it's, it's on record. Yeah. Uh, William Friedkin, you know, fired a gun on set. And, Who? Wait, what? <laughs> and, and William Friedkin. Oh, um, okay. Fired a gun on set. He, <laughs> again, this is written down, and he didn't sue the authors of these books, so he's not going to sue me. <laughs> oh <laughs> and my goodness! An actor and and and, uh, and yet at the same time, uh, if you watch uh, his movie Sorcerer which is absolutely extraordinary. And you just watch it. Mm-hmm. And you watch what the actors are doing in that movie, the action sequences. And you mm-hmm. suddenly realize they were actually doing that for real. Mm-hmm. And it's so dangerous. But then um, he probably wasn't, he probably didn't try to be extreme with Gene Hackman. I wouldn't advise anyone being extreme with Gene Hackman. <laughs> um, and, anyway. why, and why yeah. would you? So, um, so to kind of close out a little bit, I wanted you to, Tell the audience, if you had to give any advice to maybe an actor listening or an up-and-coming actor or any anyone in the creative field, what advice would you give them right now? Really, uh, I, I don't really, I'm not a very good advice giver, but what I tend to do is I, I you know, when you get to my age and you've done it for many years, people ask you for advice. Right. I have a cup of coffee with people mm-hmm. and it's almost like I'm a psychiatrist. I get them to talk <laughs> and I can kind of direct them. So, so I regularly, I get my students, who, I, I teach on a master's program here in London and uh, directing. And after a couple of years, they say, can I have a cup of coffee with you? Because I know why, because they're stuck. They've been out of film school three years and they haven't had much of a gig. So mm-hmm. It's a question of just talking it through. And the best advice is just hang on in there. I feel very sad. I mean, we all have friends and mm-hmm. colleagues who've left the business. And we all understand perfectly why they've left the business. But it always hurts me because I know these people are talented. And it, 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 it's very hard to hang on in there because obviously financial constraints, etc. Um, but I, I, my biggest advice is hang on in there if you can. That really, that would be it. And, and uh, uh, it, 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 it's a weird and wonderful business and things do happen. Mm-hmm. Things do happen. Most of the things that happened to me, like the job I did in the Emirates, it came completely out of the blue. And all the things you're trying to construct, you know, that my agent has been talking to certain producers about a project for years and they're lining me up. 
nothing ever works out. And then suddenly out of the blue, in comes a gig uh, from people we'd never heard of, uh, from people that, I mean, some of my best jobs have been, one of my best jobs ever was I did a, uh, I wrote and directed a, a, a musical for BBC Three called Bollywood Carmen, mm-hmm. which was my kind of Indian Bollywood cinema take on Bizet's opera Carmen. And that came, they told me from uh, the BBC production people, they Googled and they put keywords in. They put, I think, uh, director, Britain, India, opera, <laughs> French, Bizet. And for some reason, my name came up. Oh, my and, God. And they got in touch with me. That's and, and awesome. And that led to one of the most glorious uh, and, and successful uh, films uh, I've made. And that was a Google search. Um, and, <laughs> wow. And, uh, yeah, you that, just, that's hilarious. You just don't one. know. You don't know where it's going to no. come from. But um, the point that you also made was just just be a good person. And that's why I mentioned, like, we've known each other for so long. And the fact that when I was in um, with my family traveling, that I could just call you up after so many years of not seeing you and say, hey, we're in London. And then you took us around and we had the best time. Like, we were old friends and we had seen each other, like, last week. And then we did the same in in. Uh, Paris, and that I could just pick up the phone and call you and say, "Hey, Indra, you want to come on my show? I started this new podcast." So always be a good person. That's the moral. <laughs> always be a good person. And also, you know, as directors, we do we do love to talk. And uh, here's another thing: I always okay, uh, not so much to my uh, to, uh, to any young actor, but to any new director. Uh, uh, my advice is: would be, if you're going to talk to an actor. Don't talk for more than one sentence. One sentence. Tell them something and move on. Mm-hmm. Because if you talk to an actor for half an hour, they'll only remember the last thing you said to them. Uh, oh, so that's the biggest good, advice. Good don't, don't think, we always think as directors that the more we talk, the better it is. You know, it's not true. Say one line. Oh, um, good advice. And, that's great. Well, it, it's all going back to your great American acting training. Give your actor an action. Give your actor something to do. Mm-hmm. Change the action. And that's all you need to do. What's my action? What am I doing in this scene? Tell me. And of course, as we know, uh, you know, um, I, I'm really into actions and action verbs. It's one word, you know, you know close him down. Uh, oh, that's a, good. It, it, mm-hmm. I'm not sure if one is allowed to advise, uh, uh, advertise another pod, uh, another uh, video on your show, but there's a wonderful uh, um, round table from the actor's studio with Paul Newman. And, oh, um, I've heard of that. Um, yeah, uh, Paul Newman. Um, uh, all the actors' names are going out of my head, and and he talks about how all he wants from an actor, just to, uh, from a director, is to give him an action, mm-hmm. and he actually does it live. He says, and, and the director uh, should just crowd him, and Newman does this the scene again with that action verb crowd in his head, and it completely comes to life. And all he's been told is crowd him, wow, uh, or flatter him. So you've got a scene which is quite aggressive, and the director says. You know, don't go at him. You know, don't shout at him. Flatter him. So Newman's character gets what he wants by flattery, but actually on screen it looks quite aggressive. Uh, but he actually, he, for the actor's process, he's using the word flatter. I have got to flatter this guy to get what I want. Oh, um, how that's very clever. I love that. I always show that clip to my uh, students and say, listen, if Paul Newman is asking you for just one word. But also what's interesting there, you know, is that, a director, uh, an actor of the stature of Newman is still waiting for the director to give him the word. He's not saying, I'm Paul Newman, I don't need help. I need help. Tell me the word. Tell me what to do. Right. Please help me, which is fascinating. So that 
also is, is good for younger actors. No matter how big the actor, they want you to help them. And um, Things move so quickly on set. A director's doing a thousand things before he could sit with an actor and say, okay, what is the action? Let's go over this. So be prepared when you get to set. Yeah, and, and also I always say to my students that on a set, if you look around, there are lots of departments, right? Mm-hmm. You've got camera, you've got sound, uh, you've got costume, makeup. They're all departments, and they all have hierarchies. So they have the head of the department or whatever. And you look at the actors on set, and you think, where's the department that looks after the actors that actually talks about performance? There is none. Mm-hmm. It's just you. So actually the only head of department you are is actors because any other thing in the filmmaking process you name there's someone who's the head of department and not you right, right. so there's uh, performance and acting so actually that's your job on set it's not to do any of the other jobs it's to work with the actors that's all that matters because everything else has got a has got a very skilled person heading up a very large department usually mm-hmm. of people doing that job you know cinematography and you can Obviously, you, 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 you supervise it and you mm-hmm. have ideas, but you have no job but to work with the actors. And uh, uh, certainly, you know, I, I, over the years, I, I've come up with my own method of, of teaching. And when I teach actors, uh, directing students, they're always surprised about how much it, of it is just to do with acting. Mm-hmm. And they say, what about camera work? What about lighting? I say, well, you know what? You get that. There's people to do that for you. Very talented people. And you watch enough movies, you know what it wants to look like. Mm-hmm. Work on the acting. Work on how you're going to work with the actors and also work on story. When you read a script, there's the story work. Uh, and that's what I really concentrate on. And so, yeah. Thank you so much, Indra. That's such great information. And I'm sure my listeners will love it. I appreciate it. And um, you be safe out in London and um, say hi to everybody. It's been a real pleasure, Lisa Marie. Thank you very much. It's been a pleasure. And uh, I say to you and your lovely family and all the listeners, yes, stay safe because we don't know what's going to happen. Right. (laughs) Okay, bye. Bye Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to my podcast. Feel free to reach out for a reading. You can find me on Instagram and Facebook at A Spiritual Reading. Stop by my website at spiritual-readings.com and I look forward to hearing from you and sharing this journey.